Hi guys, and welcome back to You're On Crack, Mate, the podcast where we delve into films, television series, and whatever takes our fancy, really, analysing and reviewing them to the point where we've been told flat out, you're on crack, mate. This week, I have a doozy for you. I am welcoming back two guests. I am welcoming Morris back. We were recently going through The Wonderful Little Mermaid, and I am also welcoming back the fantastic Johnny, who showed me that... There is a lot of love for Batman and Robin out there. You just maybe have to, you have to look for it a little bit. Guys, thank you so much for joining me this evening. How are you both? Doing great. Thank you for having me again. Very well, thank you. It's really good to be back. It's really good to have you both back. Thank you so much. Now, like jumping straight in, we were, we've, we've all talked individually about our, our love of, you know, the, the God Company, which is Disney, which actually owns us they own us at this stage mm-hmm. so it's it's cool we have no problem talking about them on this and i think the only question was what film were we going to get together and watch and i have feelings about this film but what what about you guys oh very strong feelings about this film very, very excited much. to do this yes of course um when I got the invite, like, hey, would you like to come on with me and Morris and do this movie? I was immediately recorded a video, and I sent it to you guys, uh, just showing my excitement about doing this movie. So, yes, I was 100% on board. Excellent. Excellent. So, the clue will be, of course, in the title of the episode. So, anyone who's been paying attention, well done. Anyone who somehow missed the name of the episode, kudos. That's impressive. Uh, we are covering the 1996 animated version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which has been called not not the darkest of the Disney animated, but it's certainly, it, it, it aimed slightly towards the more adult of the animated films that had come. I think this is the 34th Disney yes, yes, feature. Um, and... So it's, a, it's an interesting choice to adapt into a, a, a Disney musical. An interesting choice. Uh, Johnny, starting with you, when you first saw this film and you saw kind of, all right, we're going to see the trailer for this. What was your initial reaction to not only how different it was, but what were your first feelings when you were watching this? I remember when it came out, just a little sidetrack. If anyone follows me on Twitter knows that I am a huge Disney person. There's no denying that. And But I wasn't raised on Disney movies. I was actually didn't see my first real Disney movie. I think we saw Pocahontas in second grade. We went to a local theater at one of the re-release. Not Pocahontas, Pinocchio. Getting my P names in my head all messed up. Pinocchio. And But I didn't really watch a lot of them. And then a friend of mine, I was a sophomore in high school. So that means you guys were maybe one and negative one, something like that. Effect. <laughs> um, so this would have been 92. They took me to see Aladdin. And that's where my Disney obsession really came from. 
so that was the perfect time. I went for my Christmas money that year. I bought Beauty and the Beast on VHS. And my dad was like, why did you waste your $20 your grandparents give you for, you know, Beauty and the Beast? And I watched it over and over and over. Um, the video store is no longer around, but I had someone kind of get me their copy of The Little Mermaid so I can have a copy. And that ended up being my absolute favorite Disney movie of all time so then I went back and watched the old ones and then so I saw Lion King in theaters I didn't get to see Pocahontas um I just got out of high school I didn't have a vehicle and I actually didn't get to see this one in theaters but I remember watching the trailer and just always felt that was an it was an odd choice because it's like you know when you think Disney you think fairy tales you think you know, just family-oriented things. And even I thought Pocahontas was a strange, you know, the year before was a unique movie to choose for a Disney movie. But I remember watching the trailers thinking, okay, this is going to be interesting, number one. I remember the, you know, of course, it's the Hunchback and Old John, so they had lots of bells in there. And I remember thinking, well, this is going to sound good at least, you know. Um, I remember seeing Esmeralda and thinking, is this a Disney movie? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> mm-hmm. They sold her sex appeal very much, you know, in the trailers and everything. So I had, I did have to wait for VHS for it as well, which I have a funny story. I'll get to you about that anyway, later, but I, it, you know, it all, and back then movies took forever to come out on VHS. <laughs> oh, that's so true. I want to mm-hmm. say it was probably late winter early spring of 97 before i got a chance to actually watch it so i was stoked because i had the soundtrack i love the soundtrack um especially well, we that awful one about the soundtrack oh yeah <laughs> that all for one song you know i listened to that because i didn't want to ruin the actual music but that all for one song i just really loved it so so i was all looking forward to it and and when i saw it i will admit and I kind of, in our little group chat said this, you know, each time I watch this movie, I find more I love about it. In the 23 years since I've watched it, it went from, oh, that was good. I probably won't watch it a lot to, I watched it twice this week in preparation for this. And I could watch it a third time right now because it's just so underrated. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And, and Morris yourself, do you remember when you saw it for the first time, you know, do, do you remember how you reacted to it and, kind of how that's changed in the years since or has it changed in the years since um i uh i can't really quite remember the first time i see it i think i went and saw it at the cinema and that's only because i saw the lion king at the cinema and that came out a few years i think lion king was 94 93 94 94 so i must have seen it at the cinema but i do remember watching it on on the good old VHS. And um, like first watching it, I just thought this guy had a, a problem with gypsies. Um, now that I'm older and I hadn't seen it in years and years and years. And again, I was watching it, I think for the first time in ages last week. And yeah, my impressions have certainly changed from he hates gypsies to, um, he doesn't hand re- uh, handle rejection well. 
No, he does not. No. <laughs> I remember. So uh, this, yeah, so this hit theaters 1996 and... It's strange the things that stay with you in your memory, right? Mm -hmm. I remember, so myself and my sister and my folks, we had gone on a little, it was a week-long holiday to the west of Ireland. And I don't know why this sticks in my mind, but I remember we went to see this film in the cinema. I, I remember that there used to be a very big toy shop that was very near this particular cinema, as it now this particular shop is kind of spread out throughout Ireland, but at the time it was only there. And I remember getting action figures from Star Trek Generations, um, which was a couple of years old at that point, but that's Ireland for you. And <laughs> um, it was also during the Olympics, the Atlanta Olympics, um, because uh, we, we, one of our athletes uh, actually did quite well in the Atlanta Olympics. So all these kind of things, for some reason they came together, it had, they have stuck in my memory. But what I do remember is, I, I remember a little eight-year-old Sean was absolutely, just fell in love with Esmeralda. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fell in love with her. Um, and, and while my feelings have changed in the years since, uh, <laughs> still an absolutely just fantastic character. And that is something I really want to talk about in terms of this film. So starting, I think, with... No, we'll get into the individual characters now in a bit. Let's, let's take it nearly kind of scene by scene. So at the start, that opening scene, and you have the, the, the beautiful, the lovely shot. You've got clouds and, and everything is great. And then you have Alan Menken and Stephen Swartz who just kick you straight in the face with the Hellfire theme absolutely slams right into your brain. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. This is not Beauty and the Beast. This is not Aladdin. This to me has, now I'm biased because I love the film so much, but I think this has a better opening than The Lion King does. The Lion King would always get voted as that circle of life opening is incredible. Mm -hmm. I prefer Bells of Notre Dame. It's almost... Um two complete opposites if you think about it. Lion King was a celebration of life and this film pretty much begins with death so it's very contrasting that is very true very true Johnny like when you're you're sitting there now obviously you're watching it on VHS so maybe we, we, we might have the you know we've got the big screen all the speakers and everything so you're watching it on the TV in the corner do you still have that moment of holy crap that got me in the heart Exactly that. And, you know, comparing the two is, you know, we're a circle of life. You could almost take that whole song out of The Lion King and it won't affect the movie itself, the story. Or you need to know Simba was born. Boom. That's, you know, we spend a whole song Simba was born. The Bells of Notre Dame is a prelude to the story. I mean, it really, it, you can't have, that's the backstory to our movie right there. Yeah. And and they condensed it. I mean, if you think about it, the Bells of Notre Dame is probably a, for a Disney song, it's a long song, but they did condense down, condense the story down to, t you know, tell it because that would have been a much longer prologue if they just decided to tell the story in a normal narrative way. Mm. Yeah, but like you got introduced to the gypsies, you got introduced to um, Frollo, the archbishop. Um, I mean, you got these backstories 
in a short time. And by the time you get to quote unquote present day to tell, you know, the main story, you already have, you, you already know what these people are. Where in the circle of life, you didn't really know who Mufasa was. You just knew he was a new daddy. <laughs> exactly. He was, he was celebrating being a daddy. I won't say for the first time because <clears throat> Nala's hmm. also his daughter, moving on. Um, but uh, yeah, actually, now that's, that's excellent. So there are adapting Victor Hugo's novel was certainly an interesting choice for, for Disney. And it's because it is, it's bleak. The Hunchback of Notre Dame is not standard Disney fare. But then again, that's one of the things Disney does quite well. Morris, we spoke the last day about The Little Mermaid and Hans Christian Andersen's mm -hmm. Little Mermaid. If somebody presented that to me and says, I want to make a Disney film out of this, I'd be like, why do you hate children? Is that why you want to do that? <laughs> you could have said, are you on crack, mate? Absolutely. That would have been perfect. That literally damn it that's why i started the entire podcast and and, and you're right you're right ah, but like you, missed you opportunity get, yeah <laughs> like you get this thing this deals with religious intolerance extremism separation of the classes and you know these are these are heavy themes and surprisingly some of these themes do make it into the film mm -hmm. which is surprising for a quote-unquote kids film in the 90s now, they do make one very big change, which, um, which does affect the plot. It, it opens up a tiny couple of plot holes, but it, it makes sense in a way. And that is changing Frollo from the arch... He was the archdeacon in the novel mm -hmm. to a, you know, a justice in this one. Mm -hmm. And I can appreciate that because while... It does make a lit it does make an awful lot of sense that he tells the bishop, by the way, you now have a child living with you. Um, you can appreciate that maybe Disney in the in the mid nineties was like, maybe we don't want to present our lead villain in this film as a symbol of religion that would then potentially alienate an awful lot of the parents of the people we want to watch this film. That's very true. Although, like, as a child watching the film, I just thought he was um, a priest. So it didn't really change it terribly much because, I mean, he was a man of God. Yes, he wasn't a archbishop bishop or a priest or anything, but he, he was still um, thought that he was uh, doing God's work. So I think really the only sort of changed him to a judge just to maybe um, appease, you know, parents and other viewers. Because, yeah, I could see why they would want to change that. Well, he even sings, you know, I'm a righteous man of my virtue. I am justly proud. So he thinks mm -hmm. he is a man of God. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. I think it was clever the way they did it because yeah. – I think by simply changing the title, they were still able to work in all of those character traits without sort of out and out saying, now, by the way, because mm. the depiction of Frollo was a deliberate move away from the kind of cool villain that we'd got. Jafar was kind of cool. Mm. Um, Ursula remains cool. Exactly. Um, Scar. I mean, 
Scar, love him or hate him, Scar was pretty great. Whereas Frollo, you cannot like Frollo. I, I really don't feel like he, he is not a redeemable character in any way. Not that the others are, but they had a charm. Frollo doesn't. Even Gaston's got his own tavern at Disney World. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> talk, about, talk about villains with charm. <laughs> People love Gaston. <laughs> No, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, not only the characteristics, but the voice actor that they've got to play. Oh, Tony J. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just um, amazing. Like, um, I I don't know, like, what, what can be said about Tony J's performance? It just, like, Tony J's Frollo is as... Um, What's the word I'm looking for here? It's it's as unique or distinctive to me as James Earl Jones is for Darth Vader, as villain voices. Yeah. Um, and and think- he's a charming man. Um, I know we was in the DMs, Maurice. I know you said you've never seen the Golden Girls, but he's on a <laughs> very popular episode of the Golden Girl. He plays this Hungarian sculptor named Laszlo, and he he's got great comic relief in there and but you know of course in this role he there's no comic relief at all in that no but he's really good i really got a sense of i'm gonna get her name wrong because i'm horrible with names mother grothel from tangled the manipulating the Mm -hmm. manipulating of quasimodo where she manipulated rapunzel like you know different motivations on that but there was that you know, manipulation of, you know, this is the best for you. And, and you can kind of see where Quasimodo might can appear that way, you know, cause he's got him convinced that he's a ugly monster, you know, and, and he sings about it. So if you're going to sing at me, I'm an ugly monster. I'm going to believe it. That is, that, that is an excellent thing. So this is, this is something I definitely wanted to discuss this evening. And it's, it's one of the heaviest themes of the film is basically the theme of parental abuse. Now, everyone who came to listen to this podcast thinking, oh, Disney, this is going to be nice and upbeat and wonderful. Uh, Sorry. But yes, because, you know, Frollo has taken over the role of father figure to Quasimodo. Obviously, he's a horrendous person, but he is Quasimodo's father figure. And to hear from your guardian every single day, as it's alluded, he has that you are deformed, you are ugly, the world cannot love you, I am your only defender. I mean, that is the absolute pinnacle of destroying a child's confidence, a child's reason for being. So, uh, Morris, tag your it. How, how, like, you're, you're watching this, say, last week for the first time in ages. Do mm-hmm. you expect this in a Disney film? And how do you react to this side of the character? I mean, you kind of always ex- expect to see this with a villain. But the way that, I mean, Quasimodo... Um, was kind of thrust upon Frollo. It wasn't a choice um, for him. So that's why, you know, sent him up to the tower to be raised. And it, it was just really uh, a card up, his, up Frollo's sleeve 
that maybe one day he'll be useful. But in the meantime, he's just, um, he's just really nothing. Yeah. So, okay. sorry, what you were going to say? I was going to just say, the way you, you just reminded me, who took care of Quasimodo as a baby? Did, did Frollo go once a day to change his diaper, feed him? <laughs> like, like, do you know what? The, you're, that's a good question. So you know what the horrible thing is? Like, you absolutely believe that Frollo would just leave the baby, you know, in his own filth. Now, potentially the Archdeacon, who is a strange character, he just kind of pops up every so often, you know, just after the nick of time. And... You know, but potentially he was commanded, you know, make sure this child is alive by the time I'm back tomorrow. And it is odd because, yes, there are there are things a baby needs that Frollo is not the kind of man who's going to provide. Right. And Quasimodo is such a gentle, warm character. There has to be someone, someone there to, you know, help. There probably is, but... I mean, looking at Frollo, he's probably reminded Quasimodo that if it was for me, you'd be dead. I'm the one that that's provided for you. So, yeah, you know, the way... it's probably that that sort of idea. Um, you know, it'd be a case of um, you're only eaten because I am providing for you. Yes, yeah. um, the Archbishop and you know, the nuns are looking after you, but it's me that's doing all the hard work mm-hmm. for you. God, yeah, that so maybe sense. that's kind of where this, um, and this like master thing, because that's what Quasimodo calls him. It's master, yeah, he, not he, father or anything of like that. It's master. Yeah, it's definitely more of a kind of a patron ward, kind mm-hmm. of. It's, it's standoffish, but even Frollo has this total control over him right up until the moment where he, doesn't which is which is great and of course that is one of the fantastic uh, moments of the film so we, without jumping to the end we, we, we won't cover that just yet but there is for all of Frollo's darkness there is so much light in Quasimodo mm-hmm. and he is just one of the most endearing I think characters in in a lot of the Disney canon now there are a lot of Disney characters of course and you have the the idea of the sort of downtrodden character rising up to the top is by no means unique to this film, but I do genuinely, genuinely enjoy Quasi's arc in this film. And I think Tom Hulse does a fantastic vocal job in this film. And it's one of those movies that, you know, I remember when it was, you know, being advertised as Demi Moore, Kevin Klein. Who talks about Demi Moore and Kevin Klein about this movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we talk about Esmeralda as a character, but we don't talk about, oh, Demi Moore. You know, when we say the genie from Aladdin, I, you know, the first thing people say is, oh, Robin Williams is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't do that, you know, with with Esmeralda. To me, I don't. I, I think of Esmeralda as, you know, the character, you know, mm-hmm. not Demi Moore. But, you know, we just talk about, you know, here we are talking about, Rolo and Quasimodo, their vocals, you know, and to me, those, those, those outshine the stars, you know, the celebrity stars in That's this movie. Absolutely. Because like, obviously beginning, beginning really with, I think Aladdin was when the, the trend of stunt casting 
really began yeah. with, as you say, with the genie, with Robin Williams. And because it, it obviously, like when it worked, it absolutely bloody worked. And then, of course, with The Lion King, they had, you know, serious A-list Hollywood names and it, it completely worked. Uh, Pocahontas? Mel Gibson they, didn't work. It, did, it, <laughs> it didn't work. Pocahontas is another episode. Pocahontas is a... That's, it, it, from my point of view, Pocahontas would be a less love letter episode. Um, there, there, are, there are some things in that movie that didn't work. The movie, for example. But yes, but they had done that. So then coming to this... Demi Moore and Kevin Klein, they would have been the names in this film. All mm-hmm. respect to Tom Hulse, but his other big film had been Amadeus in the 80s. I never saw that <laughs> film. No, no, no. That's, that, that's, I, I, didn't, I didn't really lead in with a question there. I just sort of ended a statement. But yes, yeah, so yeah, to, to agree with you, Johnny, look, uh, I think Demi Moore and Kevin Klein do an absolutely brilliant job. I, uh, of the speaking heroes, I'd say Demi probably rises above for me. I, I think her her performance of this now is just brilliant. She makes Esmeralda alive every bit as much as the animation does, her voice does. Um, Kevin Klein, I love his dry delivery of a lot of the the wit, which is which is very, very good. I there there is an issue I have with the ending which we, we, we will get to because it's, it's quite a large issue. <laughs> but uh, of, of the heroes, for, for sure, I, I think Tom Hulse's singing voice is way up the top. But I think Demi and Kevin's speaking voices, they just sort of go above there. And of course, we have the gargoyles as well. And mm-hmm. uh, now, Johnny, you mentioned that there might have been uh, some Star Trek connections. And I wonder if one of them might have been to do with the gargoyles. It might have to be with one of the gargoyles. The funny one, maybe? I mean, they all had comic relief, but one was a little bit more comedic than the other, maybe starring in one of the biggest sitcoms ever at that time. What? Who could you be talking about? I I, I don't know. Morris, do you you know who he's talking about? I'm completely in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i'm I'm beginning to hum the star trek voyager theme in my head now what johnny why why would i be humming the star trek voyager theme in my head right now because jason alexander was in a star trek voyager episode yes he was oh god i feel like i should have been um preparing for this test (laughs) knowing this come on voyager <laughs> Maurice, no, I was before I did my Batman and Robin with Sean. I was listening to a few of them, and every time Sean said, "Oh, there's a Star Trek connection with this," there's a Star, I said, "Oh my gosh, I've got to be prepared." So I gave uh, myself a ch- uh, a challenge to find five Star Trek connections with Batman and Robin. I found three, and I cheated on a fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> But I was trying to find five. With, I found three on this, but I didn't do as much. I just started my research today because I was wanting to watch the movie again. But I found three, and Jason Alexander was one. But not only was he in the Voyager episode, I have a six degrees of separation to also connect him to Star Trek. You okay. ready for this? Yeah, go for it. Jason Alexander was in the Brad Paisley music video, Celebrity, which also starred William Shatner. You are kidding. Huh. Nope. It's a hilarious video. If you ever get a chance, I don't know if you guys like country music or Brad Paisley. Who Brad Paisley is a big Star Trek fan. 
I don't know if you guys knew that. Well, if he has William Shatner in a video, I'm going to say he's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he tweeted about how excited he was for strange new world. So Uh, brilliant. Yeah. So he's a big star Trek fan. So he had Shatner in there and yep. And Jason Alexander was in that video with him. Cool. Now I'm I'm wondering, Johnny, because I I only have I can only think of two Star Trek connections with this film: Jason Alexander and the goat is voiced by Frank Welker, who voiced one of the versions of Spock in Search for Spock. Because oh, he's okay, done... I didn't get that one. Oh well, there you go. There's a fourth Star Trek connection yeah, for you. There's then. a fourth one. Yeah. Um, but now, it, in a way, that's kind of cheating because it, think of a noise in Hollywood between 1980 and today. Frank Welker probably did that noise. Right. Then he also did like I think I've read where he did the um the bird like the little baby bird on the beginning. <laughs> he did oh yeah, the bird. I, I believe Aww. it. I would absolutely believe it. Yeah. Okay, you ready for my other two? Oh, I am now. Yeah, now I'm yes. very curious. Who are the okay. other two? Arch Archbishop was David Ogenstiers, who was. Speak. Uh, I, I, was... I take it you guys watched last week's Discovery. And it, I, I it's a trill. Yeah, it was a trill in Half of Life. Um, oh, he, he was not a trill. Oh, well, he was in that, wasn't it that? He was oh. in Half a Life, though, you're absolutely right. Okay. Dr. Timbison. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I cannot remember so, the, the race. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's right. I'm getting my, sorry. Edit that out, Sean. Don't make me look like a bad Trekkie. <laughs> um, but my Six Degrees of Separation, he starred in the Dead Zone TV show with Nicole DeBurr. Oh. I never saw that one, but yes, I knew she was in it. Yes. Oh, if you've never seen the TV show for The Dead Zone, Michael Piller and his son executive produced it. Oh, that's right. And I love that book. I I have read the book. So Yeah, that's my favorite Stephen King. And the movie's good, but the TV show is absolutely fantastic. All right. And my last one one is Tony J himself, who was in the uh tng episode cost of living didn't he wasn't he gonna marry loxana i think so hey. and he was he was voice in a few star trek games there's like two games i found he did voices for and my six degrees of separation he was a voice in gargoyles with jonathan frakes and marina Sirtis. oh i'm so on but actually do you know what that's that's a great one because if you can make a connection to gargoyles you are never more than two inches away from a Star Trek actor. Exactly. Because, I mean, it, I, I swear, while they were on set filming, maybe next gen or something, like everyone was told, <laughs> okay, that's a wrap for you. Go through that door and do your lines for Gargoyles. <laughs> everyone is in it. Yeah. Um, so that was my three connections and you found the fourth one. So that was awesome. Yeah, right. We're doing good. By the end of the episode, it's just going to be like, you know, hang on. And Kevin Klein directed the original series and, you know, Demi Moore is currently starring in Strange New Worlds. So it's like, um, but uh, yeah, all right, fair play, fair play. I like that. Um, for for obviously returning listeners, you'll know that we're all kind of Trekkies here. We like to make these what? connections. Sorry, Mars, we didn't tell you. Sorry, sorry, my my. Oh, you never mentioned this in my episode. Oh, oh Jeannie, oh, I've I've failed you both. Um, and here ends the episode. Uh, <laughs> Star Trek is the glue that holds us together. Exactly. I think so, yeah. Without Star Trek, we might have to... No, I got nothing. I got nothing. We have no shared interests apart from this this massive company that we're talking about today. Um, Okay, so we have 
Quasi grows up, obviously. We've done the horrendous abuse by Frollo, and it was good fun for all. But we, we see that he has friends in the form of gargoyles, all right? Now, I love these three, but these three questions, I have questions. So, Morris, mm-hmm. what are they, in your opinion? As a child, I just thought they were fun little sidekicks, you know. I thought, you know, Disney, you think of magic. Mm. Being older and realizing there's really no magic in this film, I think it's just uh, Quasimodo's um, fragment of imagination. It's him projecting a personality on an object. Because, you know, the only one he has to talk to is Frollo, so... I mean, go figures. Grim. Uh, mm-hmm. And Johnny, then, same question. I, I've always thought it was just figments of his imagination, his way of his imaginary friends, so to say. But I, I confess during a DM with you guys this morning, I did something bad. I watched mm-hmm. The Hunchback of Notre Dame too. You are, I mean, after, after <sighs> a time, you're like, I understand things might be going rough and, and, you know, life has its docks, but, you know, there's, there's dealing with the punches and there's running face first into a train. After a while, it's, you chose to do this, all right? Well, what was funny is I just wanted to watch like five minutes of it and just, oh my gosh, it was so bad I stopped it. But it was like, like you said, it, it's not really a train wreck as in a, if it was a start of a TV show, kind of like they did with Aladdin or anything, mm. it might have been fine. It was just, it was, it could be, it was a cute little hour and five minutes. But his love, his love interest saw the gargoyles talk. So I was very upset mm. about that because that kind of took away from the original movie more than just having this cheaply produced, ugly looking, you know, cheap. I- just pretend that film doesn't exist. I do that with a. I, I when I when they first started doing those directed uh, video movies, I didn't mind them so much. But the older I got, I'm like, oh my gosh, do we really need Brother Bear two? Do we really <laughs> need this? But I, I know Marie saw it this morning. I don't know if you saw it, Sean, or not. Funny enough, just before coming on this, so yes, I think I know what you're about to talk about. Yeah, I put I put on Twitter. Does anyone like any of the direct to mm-hmm. Disney? You know videos you know the little cheap sequels and everything and people's talked about some that they really liked hunchback of notre dame 2 was not mentioned that i at the time <laughs> of this recording i did not see anyone mention hunchback 2 good and and you know what i will uh, I, I will die on this hill i in you know the the people of paris as depicted in this film they love a good lynch mob so i will uh, encourage all of those people to go and find the people who like hunchback 2 all right, set up a stocks in the middle of... Uh, oh, no, I've, I've gone down a rabbit hole. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, my point was, to me, it was a, the, his Quasimodo's, you know, imaginary friends, and I took it that way throughout the whole movie. And again, not to get to the end, but, you know, like the whole scene where he said, we thought we were made of stone, but we thought you would be more. And then they turned the stone in front of Quasi was almost like Quasi's coming of age kind of thing like you know 
no, I, I'm my own person. I don't, you know, this is me. I'm, I'm speaking for myself now. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I think the, so I'm exactly the same. So we're all on the same page as that. I, I, you know, it's a projection of Quasi's inner mind. Now, there is, excuse me, and I think this is to do with maybe the animators or sorry, the writers were a little bit nervous about committing to that because you do see the gargoyles actively fighting people at the end of the film. Now you can sort of, you can sort of write that off as, well, I mean, it didn't happen in a scene with anyone else. So you -hmm. could be seeing flashes of quasi's, how do I say this fractured mind, but there is one thing. Now this, uh, this has me grinning and again this is one of the reasons this film not for kids if these guys are figments say of quasi's mind if they represent different parts of him what part of quasi's personality fancies goats i knew you were going to say that <laughs> because hugo and and i think it's jolly they they kind of get along pretty well Maybe it's just he, he, he wants a pet. I, I, I know it's romantic, but, you know, we're looking at a 20-year-old kid. We're looking at a 20-year-old who's had no social interaction whatsoever. And so that could be his id kind of, you know, misinterpreting, you know, friendship of a goat versus, you know, romance maybe in his mind. Maybe in his mind, he <laughs> thinks that if one of his gargoyles gets friendly with Esmeralda's goat, then that would make Quasimodo and Esmeralda get closer too. So it's Cause... like Pongo and Perdita in 101 Dalmatians get the, <laughs> get mm-hmm. the pets together, then the humans <laughs> get together. <laughs> Actually, do you know what? Joking aside, that is a pretty good analogy right there. Both of you, fair play for that one. I love that we're putting a bit of sense on this one, which is good because there are people who's going to watch this film and have been thinking for the last nearly three decades. It's like, yeah, but why does you want to bang a goat? You know, and that's, I'm glad that go. we've put a, we've, we, we've put a slightly better spin on that. Not that I'm judging people no, who, no. Who, who like goats. This is, ev- every, everything is fine. Hey, I'm from the south of, you know, United States. I'm in the south. So, you know, loving your goat is just the same as loving your first cousin. I mean, it's, it happens. (laughs) Johnny does not represent the views of your own. (laughs) I'm just That's actually, I'm enjoying this. This is great. I'm not commenting even to the slightest on that one. No, that's more of a a Star Trek 09 from O'Hara (laughs) talking to Kirk. Not only farm animals. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But now, would you guys consider Laverne the grandmotherly figure? Yes. I think Laverne Laverne is, in a way, and I say this with love, but in a way, annoying. And I tell you why, is because we have two gargoyles who are Victor and Hugo, obviously, Mm -hmm. author of the book. And then you have, as you say, Laverne, named for Laverne Andrews. It's just like, is it just because there was absolutely no female characters apart from Esmeralda in the film? And they were like, you know, uh, there we go, Gargoyle. Um, well, I'm not going to lie. Feeling about that. I always thought that Laverne was a man when I was a kid. 
So I just thought they were just three dudes and one of them liked to dress, you know, with diamond earrings and a feather boa. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Who, who doesn't know? Um, you know? The entire art of drag exists to do that. Exactly. So, I mean, that's absolutely fair. That's, I, I think that's funny because that is a valid reading of that. If Laverne is an aspect of Quasimodo, then there is a part of Quasimodo who enjoys dressing in women's clothing. Um, and that's absolutely fine. Or just dressing in general, because, I mean, he is a huge fan of the Festival Fools, and that's all about dressing up. So maybe that's just one of his loves being projected on a gargoyle. Well, that's true, actually. Johnny, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm a simple folk guy. I was just thinking he wanted a motherly figure, and... He would see, you know, <laughs> you know, the people down there, moms and their kids. And he's like, I never had that. And, you know, and I say grandmotherly just because, you know, Laverne is in projected to be, seems to be a little bit older, you mm-hmm. know. Of course, the actress who did her voice died of old age, you know, mm-hmm. making the movie. So, but again, that's just my simple way of viewing it. I love Maurice's better. It makes it more interesting. <laughs> I, 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 like I like yours. It's, it's a lot sweeter than mine. <laughs> That's good. I, like, I like them all. This is, this is great. This is all the different uh, critical readings of Hunchback of Notre Dame, the film. I love it. But actually, Joe, Morris, you mentioned Festival of Fools there, and that is obviously, that's one of the crooks of the film, mm-hmm. is this festival. And Quasi, you know, he's rebelling. So this is, as, as you say, Johnny, correctly, it's been, he's, he's about 20 years old in this, but he is very much a child. I mean, he is, he is going through his, his version of his teen rebellion. Now, it doesn't last very long uh, for a while because it goes pretty horribly badly, but good things come out of it. Let's see here. This whole thing, celebrate someone, one person makes up says something bad about him and then a gang gangs up on him hmm could this be the internet <laughs> <laughs> is this the Ooh. comment section drawn as people <laughs> well you know like they were celebrating then he gets hit one time and everyone you know someone laughs at him, and then everyone just gangs up on him and i don't know i just i just think of my dear friend from ireland who produced an article that people started ganging up on him and and it was just bored, and I don't know. I just made that connection. I'm like, Sean's a sweet man. Don't do this to Sean, you know. So, oh, I mean, did I give names out? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Johnny. But no, I, I honestly, because everyone was celebrating him, and then one tomato, one bad thing happened, and I, it really turned big time. And I, 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 will, I that just breaks my heart. Sorry, Maurice. Sorry, I, I um. I will have to say that um, I spent a lot, pretty much all of my 20s working in bars. And when, because, you know, Festival of Fools, there's going to be alcohol there. There's only one person, it takes one person to change the entire mood of a group. And so that is so accurate Okay. when it comes to that. Throw something at, you know, tomato at someone, everyone wants to join in. It is, it becomes a game... um... I, uh, I have, I've, I've worked in a few restaurants as well where, you know, somebody drops a plate and everyone breaks into applause. Like yes. you've seen this, you know, and <laughs> you know, it happens in schools as well. And it is, it's, it's rotten. And it's, it's very hard to defend when people do that. However, so many people do. 
you know, it's this mob mentality. It's this mob mind. And like you say, John, it literally turns on a dime. He is a, yeah. you know, their, I suppose, hero one moment. He's their winner. And, you know, uh, and even Clopin, who is a very interesting character in this film in how he's depicted, even he tries to sort of spin it a little bit at the start. Once, once Quasi has been crowned the, the king of fools and, you know, they realize that it's not a mask, you know, he tries to go, well, this is what you asked for. People, you asked for the ugliest face in Paris. Here it is. And for a moment, there's applause and there's cheers and yay, this is great. And then, yeah, one tomato, as you say, and great. We have our hero. We have our target. Okay, can y'all both say that word, that fruit one more time just for me? Tomato. The oh. tomato. <laughs> oh, be still, my heart. The That's one thing I love about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can edit this out, Sean, but every time Christy and I watch his Trek culture or walk culture and they say rotten tomatoes, we have to repeat it just like that. Tomatoes. <laughs> So when Maurice said it, and then you just have like, oh, tomatoes, because the first time I ever heard tomato, actually kind of funny, the first time I ever heard tomatoes pronounced that way, the original Parent Trap. I don't know if you guys ever watched that or not. Or not the original, no. I saw the remake, all right. Okay, I and, saw the original. Yeah, and one, you know, they was tomato and tomato. So <laughs> that's the first time I ever heard that, but it, she wasn't. Uh, British or anything, but she was just, you know, from an upper side of the East Coast, if I'm re remembering correctly, so. She was posh, darling. Yes. Terribly posh altogether. Terribly posh. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, as posh as these people aren't, one might say. Um, we, I think the, the universe collectively falls in love even more so with Esmeralda here. Um, but before we can really discuss this, we need to go back just a tiny little bit because Captain Phoebus has arrived in Paris. He's been summoned back from the front line of the war, which is one of the conflicts between France and England. Uh, I mean, it's kind of pick a one. You know, there's a few yeah. of them. And he's called back to deal with the gypsy threat. So he is present at the Festival of Fools. And he also starts to fall in love with Esmeralda. Um, oh my because... gosh, I can imagine eight-year-old Sean when Frollo says, look at this disgusting display. You had the same reaction as Phoebus? Yes, yes sir. sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know that they, they actually, they, the, the studio asked the animators to tone it down a little bit, uh, specifically in the Hellfire scene, but also that like, you know, kind of, guys, this is a kid's film. You know, whereas, you know, Esmeralda is arguably the most beautiful of the Disney, unfortunately, I have to say, the Disney leading females, because I think last, last check, there is uh, no traditional royal blood in her family. Right. Um, she should know. be a Disney princess, but anyway. Yeah, she yeah, is but, stunning. But is it not also funny that this movie came out the same summer as Striptease with Demi Moore? I know. <laughs> 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 Hell of a year for Demi Moore. <laughs> she took some of that stuff and she made it a dancing pole. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, like, there's, there's, there's just particularly, there's some seats where you're just watching on like, like, lads, was, was this a private project that got swapped into the wrong box and went out to theatres? Um, yeah. But she, 
thankfully, you know, obviously she frees Quasi from the uh, the torture rack. Um, as in fairness, yep, as that 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 is what you would expect to find in Paris today. I've been there, you know, it's it's it's, it's fine. Um, and oh, I hope you put that picture you showed us up before you send this out. That was a great oh, picture, by the way. Oh my god! Like sorry, full disclosure, Paris is my favorite city in the world. It's the one I've returned to the most. The what that I haven't lived in that I've returned to the most. And when the fire in Notre Dame broke out there, uh, I mean, I I won't lie, it, it hurt. It actually physically hurt. Um, and and sure I, Bro- I hear all of the, the criticism, absolutely fine. Like, you know, kind of, you can find billions to restore a cathedral overnight, but you can't. And all of that's valid. But yes, it did make me very sad when the spire fell down. Yeah, and, and the fire in this movie at the end, I'm sure brought back memories. Yeah, it was a bit rough. It was a bit like watching that going like, you know, <laughs> God damn it, Morris, why'd you pick this one? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Am I saying your name wrong? Well, actually, now, Morris, <laughs> sorry, sorry. would you like to address this on recording? Just, yeah. I'm sorry, I've been calling you the wrong name. No, uh, you've, the way that my name is spelt is the name that you pronounce it, Maurice. Okay. But um, everyone just call, calls me Morris. It's just Morris, but with a French spelling. Either that or, sorry, mom and dad. They were just lazy, and it was probably more my dad that couldn't see Maurice, so they said Morris. Okay, I just when he no, said it's that, I, oh my god! Oh, I've been saying the wrong name all this time. I'm, I'm like, oh, I feel horrible. <laughs> no, it, it, oh, okay. Maurice like is saying, my stage name. There we are. I was gonna say, if anything, Johnny, you're saying it right, and I'm just being a, a, an ass over here, just like ah, I'm no. not doing it. No, you got it right. I'm the one that had it wrong, and when I heard, like I said, I heard you say that, and I'm like. Oh my gosh, I consider Maurice like a good friend. I can't even get his name right. <laughs> well, as long as you can spell it, that's fine with me. I'll, I'll, I'll get it right from now on. <laughs> I, 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 that's a lie. I'll, I'll slip up twice or three times before this it's podcast. It's quite I will not hold it against you. Excellent. Cool. So I'll just keep calling you Maurice from here on out. We'll just, we'll just swap roles. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Uh, so yes, yeah, so uh, right, we have uh, Esmeralda freeze Quasimodo, and she she demonstrates basically parlor tricks, which Frollo immediately calls witchcraft because mm. that doesn't shock me so much. I think I think this movie is set in fifteen oh two. I think it, it actually they, they do put a year on it, so it's yeah fifteen oh two, and quite frankly, a loud fart is a cry from the devil. So I mean that does make sense that they would. Uh, sorry for taking it to that place, but um, that does make sense that yes. Oh, I can make the accusation of witchcraft and it will stick. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, Frollo is just masking. Oh, he's smitten. Yeah, the uh, well, I, I'm going to scene ahead, but the smelling of the hair. Ooh, that oh. was creepy. Yeah, the, that's. <clears throat> So uh, you know, what, actually, let's, that, that, <laughs> definitely let's 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 go straight to that scene actually because there there is a chase scene. It is funny, but no, she ends up in the Notre Dame Cathedral, and we get our not our introduction to Phoebus, but sort of a sub introduction to Phoebus. We get to see that he's a good man, mm-hmm. um, and while yes, he is captain of the guard, he is the one who says, "Say sanctuary, and you'll be safe," and and that's quite nice. But yes, as you say, Johnny. Then Frollo steps out from behind that pillar, and this scene sends chills down my spine, and not in a good way. 
it's the implied, I suppose, it's the implied sexual violence here because he grabs her and sniffs her and then he tries to put it on her. It says, oh, trust. She says, like, I know what you were thinking of. To which he replies, oh, trust you to make it weird, basically. Yeah. Well, and then whenever he tried to deny it, like, oh, I was just thinking of a noose around that beautiful neck of yours. Not just your neck, your beautiful neck or gorgeous neck. I forgot exactly the word, but he used a word and I'm like, okay, so awkward. <laughs> just a bit. It's certainly like a lot more awkward being adults watching it. I don't think as a kid I'd really picked up on the, you know, the sexual tension because, you know, I was a kid. I don't know mm. what sex was. But, you know, kind of glad that it was a few years later because this would have been a very bad um, introduction to sex <laughs> <in it. laughs> The temptation. Yeah, just, just a so, little. What oh, you need like, to so do that's to get how a you say hello like to a girl. You. No, yeah. no, it isn't. <laughs> no, it isn't. Uh, Do not uh, say that you want to put a noose around her beautiful neck. It's just or a sniff their hair. Come up behind them and sniff their hair. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, everything Frollo does in this, don't do that. Do the um, opposite. Yes. Um, and except for your cool, except for the cool voice. If you can have the cool voice, go for it. Oh yeah. <laughs> All bets are off. Yes. Yeah. You do anything you like as long as you have that voice. But this is so this scene sort of goes back to how they have changed Frollo's role from Archdeacon to Justice because he has no qualms whatsoever about going straight into the cathedral. Yeah, just clapping irons. Why should I care? And it takes a very sassy um, Archdeacon to come down and remind him that, no, 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 you learned a long time ago to respect the sanctity of the church, didn't you, Frollo? And it's a bit like, oh, okay, good man. Good sassy man right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, I try to find a gif, and I'm not good at making gifs. I wish I was, that just really spoke to me right after Frollo leaves. It's when Esmeralda says, what do they have against people who are different from them? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, is this 2020 right now? Because that line, and then whenever he said, not one person can do it on their own, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a message we need right now <laughs> because this has been a rough year, you know, mm. in this place I call home. Um, lots of social outrage and everything. And and that's what basically this movie gets pulled down to is, you know, Frollo wants it to be a certain way. <clears throat> oh, oh, I'm sorry, my my... I lost my voice there for a second. And... Would you, just, just, just to spare your poor, poor vocal cords. Please, honey and lemon, honey and lemon. This, so th this version of the story, so this, it, it differs quite a lot from the source material here. And if anything, it, it's more of a, a remake, if you like, of there was a few, obviously there's been several movies of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, but particularly there was one that came out in 1939. And that was made at a time when there was quite a lot of, I suppose, we, we know what was going on in 1939. Nazi Germany had risen, you had the rise of fascism, you know, putting down uh, particularly the Roma race. And the, the gypsies in this film are they, are, they are Roma race. And in that film, that 
portrayed the Roma in a very sympathetic light. It didn't judge them. In the original source material, they are not depicted in a sympathetic light at all. And in fact, Esmeralda is revealed in the novel to not be of Roma descent. She has been swapped at birth, basically. She is, um, mm-hmm. I mean, for, sorry for this. She is a white woman uh, who, is, who is out of place. Whereas in fairness to Disney, they don't do that in this film. They, they stick with the idea of, no, 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 she is Romani. And, you know, so when she sings of, you know, we are outcasts and she mm-hmm. sings directly to, I guess, the Virgin Mary, you know, and to God is, you know, I thought we were all equal in your eyes. You know, do, do you not love all of your children equally? And I mean, this is, in a way, this is kind of staggering for 1996 and Disney for all of the good it's done. Disney has done good. It wasn't great for a long time at depicting difference in in film. I mean, it took us until Princess and the Frog to have uh, a princess of color, mm-hmm. and they unfortunately they absolutely stumbled with Pocahontas. They tried, but they stumbled. Uh, not as bad as what they did in Peter Pan, but we don't need to talk about that here. No. Um, so when you have Esmeralda, who is Romani, and you have Quasimodo, who in the film is suggested is also of a gypsy race, but I've seen another reading of it where he was found and taken in by gypsies before they were killed by Frollo, showing that they are kinder than his birth parents as well. And that theme of... I suppose fascism is so embodied by Frollo in this film that it's it's a little frightening. The oh, and we passed over the scene where he tells Phoebus about his job with the ants. The metaphor oh. with the ants. Ooh. I mean, there's no even like it's it's horrendously unsubtle. It's brilliant in the film in yeah. that you go, oh my god. Oh my God. But it absolutely squashes home the idea of what Frollo is planning to do. It's not subtle. He is not planning to interrogate. I think anyone who goes to the Palace of Justice does not come out again. Oh God, no. But now I will say about that scene, I found the funniest meme. It had Frollo picking up the rock and it says, this shouldn't happen in this <laughs> Notre Dame. <laughs> <Saying> that, <laughs> like he was just easily just pick up the arc and, you know, the, the rocks, you know, that should be, you know, pretty stable. <laughs> but, but yeah, but that scene is just a, just a wonderful scene. And it, I think it plays it enough that kids will know that he's not a nice guy. Like you say, he's not a sympathetic villain. And, you know, this came out two, three years, no, two years before A Bug's Life. So poor Flick and Ada and all those, all those ants. <laughs> oh, I really like that film. Um, <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I do like, um, throughout the film, there's always, um, I can't remember who, uh, who's the narrator? What's his name? Uh, the narrator is Clopin. Him. He's uh, always singing about who's the monster and who's the man mm. throughout the whole film. And, you know, beginning of the film, you think because Quasimodo looks different, he's the monster. But it's quickly, I mean, I pretty, 
pretty much think it's the next scene. Mm. You see what Frollo does, and you're like, ah, okay. I like that, how that's a recurrent theme throughout this film. And um, going back to Elsmerelda's song, um, God Help the Outcasts, I like how she's singing for something, you know, really small. And then you have other people in Notre Dame that are singing for, you know, money and beauty and things like that. So, you know, she's not asking for something super out of his power. I just thought that was really nice. Yeah. Throw that in there. Okay, I'm going to make this as a joke. And Sean, you can edit it out if you want to. White people problems. <laughs> oh, no, that's, 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 yeah, first of all, I mean, that's it is, problems. Do you know what it is? It's, it's, it's sad because it's, nothing has changed. I mean, from the setting of the film to today, mm-hmm. we, we do. And I'm not, I'm not in any way, sorry, passing judgment over people who say, God, I, I, I need more money because there is a very legitimate problem. Of course, if, you know, some they need money to pay the bills, you know, wealth, beauty, we, we live in that kind of world as they did then. So I think it's very clever that, you know, we're in this place of, you know, absolute sacred, holy ground. People are praying for these things that are, it sounds horribly judgmental, but that, that are so selfish. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have Esmeralda representing the the gypsy people, the Romani, who all she wants is for everyone else to be okay. And you have Judge Claude Frollo, you know, quote unquote, the Archdeacon, but not in this version. All he wants to do is just, I have a lot of nooses and I need a lot of necks and I know who I'm coming for. Yep. And it is, and it is, and it's been very heavy for a few minutes. We're going to move on to a lighter thing now for a second because we have another another heavy thing to get to in a while. But what we get is the beautiful start of Quasi and Esmeralda's friendship because it's there is an 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 issue that we need to discuss, which is the the romantic plot of this film. It's there is a problem with it in that Quasi is completely friend-zoned. He is, but I think um, it could be, it's, it's from, it's kind of hard to find my words, hang on. <laughs> I mean, Esmeralda's the first one that's shown him kindness and, um, you know, treated him like he wasn't different. So, you know, and he's probably never well, we know he's never had any interaction with anyone else. So this is, you know, love to him. Mm. So I think it's, I mean, she's just being kind to him, which we see that she's kind to a lot of people. But to him, he's never experienced that before. So he thinks it's something a lot more. It's a, a bigger gesture on her part than it is, you know, him receive. Y- yeah. Um, yeah. So, what is what is a just a standard part of her um, yes. personality, if you like, yes. is for him the grace, a kindness. huge gesture of love. And Sean, for the longest, I had the same problem you did. Like we spent this whole movie, like don't judge anyone based on their looks, and he goes and she goes straight for the hot man, you know, mm-hmm. you know, with that rugged good looks. Watching it last night, I looked at it from a different point of view. 
Quasimodo's love story is being out there. That's what he wants. That was his longing. His whole song wasn't, I want, you know, this wasn't, I need one, you know, the like Snow White, you know, give me one man, you know, or anything like this. His whole thing was being out there and belonging. Mm -hmm. He got his love story in the end. And there's always going to be heartbreak when you're love. But I'm also looking at Quasimodo as a 12-year-old boy in a 20-year-old body. Esmeralda is a woman. And if we can be honest, she's going to, she's an experienced woman, <laughs> you know, let's just be honest. Um, and thinking if they got together in my mind, kind of creeping out last night, you know, looking at it again. I, I, I completely take your, your point there. I think that this, this stems from the, the source material. It's, it, they were never going to be able to do the book ending in a no. Disney animated film. I mean, first of all, Everybody dies in the book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Esmeralda is hanged. Quasimodo starves to death. Great crack. Proper Disney. But, no. <laughs> I saw one reading of it that I think they were, they were stuck in how to satisfactorily end this film. Because, Johnny, I completely agree with you and Maurice as well. Is that having Quasi and Esmeralda end up as a couple doesn't fix any of his problems. You know, he's uh, completely isolated and, you know, he has, despite the fact that he is a very lovely young man, he has no people skills whatsoever. He has no experience in life. And, and as, as you quite rightly say, Johnny, she is a lady of extreme experience, as in she has, she has lived in a way that Quasi can't have because of the way that he has been raised. And as friends they can help each other an awful lot more than if they were partners. The, 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 the issue I guess I have with the Disney of it is that there had to be a love. And the fact that Phoebus, I've nothing personal against Phoebus. I like him as a character, but it's the fact of like, you know, oh great, they have to end up together because my God, somebody has to end up with somebody in this film yeah. because we have to tick that box. And I think mm -hmm. because of that, I had this kind of little feeling in the back of my head. It's just like, yeah, well, because you've introduced the idea of a relationship, poor El Quasi gets the short, short straw, doesn't he? But um, Yeah, I know what you're saying. If they did, they could have done this movie without a love story at all. They could have had flirting with Esmeralda and Phoebus. <laughs> no problem, because they're me cute in Notre Dame. It's, 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 it's a me cute, you know, even though they saw each other earlier. But that was, you know, that... And I'm just going to, and I, I've been doing this all the time, comparing it. That was more successful than what, when Daredevil and Electra met on the playground. You know, it's almost like they tried to do the same kind of thing. That was way more successful than Jennifer Garner and Ben Affleck, which was a couple. <laughs> you know, they end up being a couple, you know. And, and I'm not a Daredevil hater, but I do understand why people, you know, cringe at that scene where, you know, but you can have you could have had the flirting between them and not necessarily had to go full love story because mm. it wasn't their story. You know, I do ag agree with um, Esmeralda and Phoebus. It just it felt a bit forced. Did a bit. It did, and I mean, you really could have kept kept it without any of the love. I mean. 
I think if you just kept it all the same but didn't have Esmeralda and Phoebus get together, film would have been a-okay. Exactly. You could, you could still have had uh, Hugo and the goat. They could have been the main <laughs> Oh, Joe, you're dead, actually. You're absolutely right. There, you, there is your love story, right there. Yeah. Um, that's more of a lust story than a love story though that's absolutely we're going to stop that line of conversation right there um i mean sorry no no judgment whatsoever against uh, gargoyles and and goats mars in the sequel the goat kisses hugo or licks him or something and hugo faints (laughs) i know i have also seen the sequel (laughs) and i was hung over when i watched it and i was drunk when I finished it. (laughs) This is a family podcast (laughs) chat. Sorry. Is it though? Don't drink. Um, (laughs) What we'll do, it's the only way to get through a hunchback too. Um, So we have this beautiful friendship and then Quasi helps her, uh, you know, escape, even though it means at this point losing her. Um, he helps her escape the cathedral because she's not, as as she says, gypsies don't do well in stone buildings or behind stone walls. Mm-hmm. And he sees that and he sees, obviously, that's a part of himself that he has been locked inside for 20 years. But he's not ready to leave, but he can certainly help her escape. And as we know, it's the start of a you know, fantastic, fantastic arc for him. We have then the 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 very nice song, uh, Heaven's Light. Yes. Such a sweet song. I love that song. So I think that is the best song of the film. And I'll tell you why, Sean. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because it's it starts with Heaven's Light and it's, um, you know, Quasimodo, he's sort of feeling, you know, never being loved. And then it's kind of someone is treating him with kindness. So then, you know, he's like, oh, well, maybe this, you know, He's having a maybe this dream kind of thing will happen. And then it goes to the bells and goes straight into um, Hell's Fire, which is the about the same person, but from a completely psychotic perspective. And I love that. So I have feelings about Hellfire. Okay. Um, Hellfire is, in my opinion... It is the greatest Disney villain song of them all. As much as I love Poor Unfortunate Souls, I would have to agree. This, 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 this song, more than any other, I think, moment in the film, is why parents might have an issue showing this to children. Because, I mean, this is not for kids. This entire sequence, it's, it starts out simply enough. You have Frollo, who is, uh, he just, he is singing about, and Johnny, as you said earlier on, he is proud of his piousness. And, you know, he is, uh, in his own opinion, a good man. And it devolves into as close to a depiction of hell in a Disney film as I've seen in a long time. That, there would not on Bald Mountain? Oh, oh, come on. Nothing's up there with that. I mean, that's just like, you know, that's, you know, if the director of Saw made a Disney film, that's, you know, a night on Bald Mountain. But um, the, it's, there's, there is a fantastic article that, that I read in preparation for this, which I will link the description to this because it has informed an awful lot of the way I view this film. And it is 
he is so aware of how absolutely screwed he is by his feelings. His, if they are indeed hallucinations, uh, sorry, I've been waiting to talk about this song. If they are indeed hallucinations, these red robed figures who are watching him by the fire, they're chanting, which is teo culpa, teo culpa. It's your fault. It's your mm-hmm. fault. Every, and he is just begging them, going, it's not my fault. I can't help this. And in a child's Disney film in 1996, the villain shouts at the camera, how is it my fault if God chose to make the devil so much stronger than a man? It's like... And then he gets um, pulled by the fire oh my on the back of that. Oh, so good. I mean, this is the kind of thing you expect maybe in a teenage film. Possibly, you know... Not and I, so I understand. Like there was, there was talk, they didn't go to the name, but there was talk of making this film a PG, which doesn't sound like very much, obviously. But it would be for a Disney animated. That's that's a step. Well, now they are almost all pretty well PG, but back then, yeah, that this got a G rating. I think yeah. I, I did read something that Disney assumed it would get a PG rating, and they were really, really surprised when they didn't. That's it because it's. I think the only thing that they changed about this thing was, um, they were like, "Can you make it look like Elsmeralda's wearing clothes in the in the flame and the smoke?" That's it. Yeah, the way it had been animated, it was more of just the outline of mm-hmm. the person as opposed to depicting her. Per se. Well, I mean, it it was her, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So the one of the closing lines of the song, which is grim when you understand the meaning of it god have mercy on me i mean that's scary you never heard scar say god have mercy on me you never heard ursula say god have mercy on me because they were you know the cool oh you know we're just the fun villains or whatever yeah that's fun camp villains i think that's why it's he's um a lot scarier because a lot of the villains in disney films are quite camp Yes. And he's not. He really is not. He's mm. as far away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, as you say, I mean, uh, you know what? Camp is a, is a great description because there's obviously camp comes with a connotation. It's nothing to do with that. It's you can have a villainy in high camp and it, it adds to the, mm-hmm. to the, I suppose, the fun, the charm of the villain. Like Jafar would be another great example. Yes. Of kind of high camp. Um and also, what a fashion sense. But that's, that's a different episode. Um, but I mean, Frollo is as expressionless in his evil, but he truly believes he isn't evil. And he is one of the scariest mm-hmm. villains. I think that's, it's because he believes what he's doing is good. And uh, like another thing about this song as well is, I think you mentioned this as well, is um, he realizes that, you know, these urges that he's having is wrong. But um, instead of, I don't know, praying or something, he just, you know, decides, well, (laughs) she has to go. Well, let me ask you this. Is his urges wrong or is his way of handling the urges wrong? His handling. 
Okay. Yeah, it's it's because it's, I mean every everyone goes through urges, you know, and you know, I used to work for a residential center with teenage boys and you know we used to tell them all the time, everyone gets angry, you know, <laughs> that you're not going to not ever get angry. We're not telling you that, but it's how you handle that anger, mm-hmm. which that's keeps you in here or lets you go home. <laughs> but that's it. Like, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's one thing to be angry. It's another thing entirely to burn down all of Paris. Right. That, you know, he, he, he got, you know, rejected and, you know, so he, she's got to pay, you know, and. Ooh. Yeah. And actually, Joe, that, he, now, that now makes me question. What started the fire in Notre Dame a couple of years ago? We, we, we need to start checking on some, some facts behind that, I think. <laughs> um, because there's, there's too many parallels here. But um, so he does, he, he does, you know, he commits to this and, and my God, he hunts down the, the gypsies in Paris ruthlessly. I mean, he is persecuting the people just absolutely. There is, there is no, there's no shame in it. And of course this culminates oh, in... Sorry, persecuting kind of everyone who stands in his way, really. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and this, even his people who like, you know, the the family. Oh my gosh, the family with the women. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's it. That's you know, it. they weren't gypsies. They were just, you know, he just said, "Hey, I help anyone who needs, you know, that has a need," and he locks them up. And even though I really think that little stick wouldn't have kept them in there, yeah, <laughs> there was that as well. I was just thinking, like, you know, okay, obviously grim scene, and, and it's a lot, and it shows how bad Frollo is. But also, one candle in that house, and that family was dead long before Frollo ever came along. <laughs> I mean, that goes up like that. But, you know, he just puts that little bitty stick on the doorway to keep them inside. But oh. Frollo, I mean, not Frollo, um, Phoebus, uh, Phoebus, you know, jumps through a window. Yeah, you know. Thank God for him. Yeah, I know. Yeah. They were just going to sit there and burn. <laughs> Um, but it's, it is obviously, obviously it's it's an awful scene, but it 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 sort of marks where it is suggested up to the point of Hellfire just how bad this guy is. Hellfire seals the deal, and at this mm. point there is there is absolutely no coming back for this guy. You know, you kind of you know it's this is you know this is Disney. He has one fate. And it's yes. just a question of how. Okay. And you said this is Disney. You remember when we were saying I had a, a major down for the Hunchback of Notre Dame? <laughs> it's not not that it's a bad thing, but Ooh. it is a down. Go for it. Paris is on fire, so let's have a fun little ditty <laughs> song. The song it itself is. is not bad. It's a fun song. But man, it is totally just doesn't change on this movie. <laughs> Absolutely, like if this song had to be included, put it at the start. Yes. Yeah, it was. You're like a hundred percent. It is my least favorite song on the soundtrack. Um, but I think maybe to be fair, it's because of where it comes. I mean, like as you say, if. And I know it's obviously a joke, but also if Hugo was able to spear a sausage, put his hand just outside the window and pull in a cooked sausage, <laughs> get out of that building. Right. <laughs> well, even the first line of the songs, you know, Perry, the city of lovers is glowing this evening. True, that's because it's on fire. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's tonally, that just shifts the movie. It just takes it out of this, you know, this just 
serious, this intense, you know, movie. And that's, to me, that's where it should have stayed, you know. But I guess just for the kids, they're like, okay, we're getting a little too dark here. Let's, you know, line it mm -hmm. up just a bit. Or maybe if it was a DreamWorks movie, but even though I love Disney more, they might have, you know, kept it. Is, it, is this the song where I might be getting confused, but this isn't that the song where Hugo dresses up as Elsmeralda? Yes, or it is. is. The... Yes. Well, see, if that song, you would have missed out on that lovely image. Well, that's true. Yep. Well, Come like on I now. Say, They're doing it for the kids. Yeah, I know. But like I say, <laughs> I don't hate the song. The song's fine. Just it just break. really just, you know, puts a break on what the movie was doing and just, you know, like, oh, we're going to be wacky again. And you know. I think maybe they had, maybe that was something that they had to do. Cause I mean, as a kid's film, you, ca you can't really go into that dark place and just keep going there until like the last five minutes of the film. No, I, I agree with that. I understand it's for the kids, but just tonally, it just shifts. Completely. And yeah. It's, yeah. Absolutely. You're, you're dead right. It's just like, we're going down this path. Whoop, we're going to the other way. It reminds me of Hakuna Matata after, just after the stampede scene. Um, I, yeah. think, I think Hakuna Matata, I think that, it, that whole sequence works a lot better. But, mm. Whereas this one, it's, I think, maybe it's the fact that it's, it's an okay song as opposed to right. a great song. Yes. Um, and and that is, I think, an issue with that. But it does, I suppose, it serves to get Phoebus and Quasi together, and it gets them to this kind of, you know, this buddy comedy almost. Um, there is there's serious moments in it, but you know, it gets them to the the court of miracles. Mm -hmm. and, and see, that comedy Cascos. didn't bother me. Like whenever it was more realistic comedy or you know lighter moments, that didn't. You know, I didn't have any issues with that. Um, if we can go back to a Star Trek reference, it's kind of the comedy from Star Trek 4 versus Star Trek 5. A guy like you is forced in this scene, you know, this moment mm. where it, where that's for the humor to me for Star Trek 5. As much as I watch Star Trek 5, the humor is forced. It's almost like, okay, we're serious here. Scotty, bang your head on the wall now, or on the thing now, yeah. where Star Trek Four is more realistic humor and not as forced. And the, like you said, the buddy cop aspect with Quasi and Phoebus was funny, you know? So I don't know. That didn't bother me. It kind of still kept the mood because it was serious, but yeah, they're trying to, you know, I know you guys have always been to a funeral and sometimes the best moments at a funeral when you're all sad, when someone cuts a joke yeah. about, the person who has passed away like you remember when uncle blah blah did this and you just you're laughing and crying you know it's almost like you need that you know that lightness that levitivity you know to be there we're forcing the song in it was just it was, it was too far it was it was too do you know, to, to, to use that analogy, right, of, say, at a, at a funeral, and you're dead, right? Like, I've, I've been to a few weeks, mm. and you make a joke, because you do. You, you, you try and remember. It was something else. But you wouldn't break out into a Three Stooges routine in the right. middle of a funeral. It, it was, you would be quite quickly ejected, and rightfully so. Um, right. Unless, of course, it was the funeral of the Three Stooges, in which case, all right, fine. But for, for the sake of time. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I agree. And I do like them as a pairing, which is why I think, you know, kind of going back, but also going forward, having 
quasi Phoebus and Esmeralda, you know, potentially you know, remove that romantic subplot and have the three of them, I think that would be quite a successful uh, trifecta of friends. I, I, I think, and this is the beginning of seeing that there's good banter um, when they get there as well. Uh, Clopin is kind of scary as, really. I mean, these, these gypsies, these guys know how to fight. And that's, that's good. I mean, they're not a helpless people that are, I mean, sorry, they are being persecuted, but they can fight. And there's been, there, there's been different interpretations of the way that they are depicted in this film. Some of the depictions, particularly in the, uh, the Court of Miracles, are not great. Um, and they, they show, you know, the, the idea of con artists pretending to be blind and pretending to be lame you know, to con people out of money. And that is playing into a stereotype. But then I think you have as Esmeralda is sort of the, yes, but look how good a job we did with her. And, yeah. and it does help enough. Uh, it, goes, it goes quite a long way to the positive depiction of, say, Romani in this film. What did you think of, say, the Court of Miracles scene overall? The beginning was creepy... <laughs> heck with all of them dressed as skeletons and coming out of the the actual skeletons <laughs> i thought that was some really good filmmaking um one thing i will say i like about it is sometimes you know in the movie when there's like oh quasimodo led me straight to you and everyone's like oh quasimodo's a traitor you know you have that misinterpretation they didn't go that route and mm-hmm. i appreciate that you know it's Absolutely. almost like yeah yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I, I love it. I love it as well. Just like it's, it's so done to death. You know, that kind of like, oh, you know, he led us here. She doesn't buy it for a second. And I love that. I, I, I like that because it could have easily been yeah. that kind of scene. Yeah. And like not, not, I suppose, to skip over this. I, I like the song. It's good. Uh, Club on, creepy as feck. Um, but... The the entire climax of this film now, this is visually it's gorgeous. I mean mm-hmm. give me an Oscar for cinematography. I I realize it's animation, but give me an Oscar for cinematography. I just want to throw it at these people. Oh, this was Disney nineties Disney at its best. I mean I mean, just a, you talked about the opening of you know, going through the city. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of Beauty and the Beast Bale, but times 10 you know i loved it love it love it love it yeah no absolutely um mars what did you think of (laughs) they they kind of go into siege mode don't they yes they do (laughs) well i never really understood and i still don't know it's um quasimodo got the like that pot of lava Lava fire, something. Where, <laughs> where did that come from? I'm wondering that myself. I mean, I'm okay with boiling oil. Yep, yeah, totally fine. But where did you get it? Yeah, I just okay. I think I think it's just one of those things that you just need to accept and move on. But um, I, yeah, I just loved that whole scene. I loved um, with was it Elsmeraldus uh, when she was about to get burned and then you had you know Quasi saving her and you had the smoke like uh, curling around the Notre Dame I was like oh that is just beautiful there's so much 
there's so much like obvious symbolism here um like you have obviously paris is on fire you have this holy place notre dame this this is where there is sanctuary mm-hmm. um there is now i mean i say this with love i i can only hope to ever own an amazing extendo rope like that as well because that is a that is a serious piece of technology i mean it does whatever he wants it to whenever he wants it to it's brilliant he's batman he is. He is <laughs> Batman of Palace. <laughs> um, they, there is the, I forgive it, but there is the death fake out with Esmeralda. Um, yeah. I suppose what, maybe smoke inhalation or something knocks her out because she's not actually, like she is tied to the pyre, but she's not actually burned. Although saying that, I'm pretty sure that if someone had saved me from, you know, being burned alive. I mean, I'd be grateful and stuff. But then to start like climbing up the Notre Dame and stuff, and then like hold me up in the air, I'm pretty sure I would pass out just for pure fear. So maybe it was a case of that, and she was just embarrassed to say. That's totally fair. That's a fair thing. There is another um, explanation for the for the cop out. Um, we have a, I suppose, so the showdown. And I do love a good showdown on the top of a building. Beauty and the Beast did it very well. Um, Hunchback does it well. Because at this point, I mean, Frollo has abandoned almost his humanity at this point. Um, And there's something, as he walks in and he has the knife behind his back, so we know what he's doing he still manages to sell the line. I hope you'll forgive me. I was just doing my duty. Oh, yeah. I just, well, he, you know, he's, he's that con artist. I mean, he's, oh, just so good. Yeah. No, uh, and his, uh, again, I suppose th- there is a Disney element of this, but he is the architect of his own demise, which, mm-hmm. you know, so you can't, you can't say that the hero killed the villain. <laughs> you know? right. I don't know. Scott, no. But uh, it would have been deserved. I mean, it would have been forgivable, <laughs> definitely. But <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. it would have. But I don't think. Um, see if if they had gone down that path and Quasimodo had killed Frollo, I don't think Quasimodo would have ever forgiven himself because he's such a nice person, and you know he, I know. even though he was horrible to Quasimodo, like. You still feel, you know, that he raised him and things like that. So, exactly. As much as I'd like to see that. Yeah. Because Why anyone else would have drowned him as a baby, as he told Quasi. Yeah. What he was going to do, he said everyone else would have done. Yeah. Of course. And we all know that he, he had him over the well. I mean, there yep. was. Up to him, he would have been gone, and his conscience would have been completely clear. But yeah, now I realize I realize we have sort of somewhat slashed through the the latter half of this film, is because in a way it's not in any kind of negative way, but it is things have to be ticked off, right? And and they do, you know, you have got to get rid of the villain. Uh, his obviously his best moment of the entire film is Hellfire easily. Um, yes, his death scene is, I think it's quite satisfactory. Yes. Um, um, I, I love the imagery of this man who has, you know, spent his entire life devoted to God 
falling down into hell. Yeah. It's honestly, it's such a perfect ending for the villain. Um, and then Johnny, as you said as well, Quasi's his wish, his freedom is to step outside. And that's hey. how his arc finishes. And he's accepted. He's getting to live every day out there. Not just one, but every day. It's everyone's right now. That's my song out there. I love, <laughs> love, love that song. And I know that's probably the one that's most known because of the scenery of him, you know, on top doing all the big Broadway gestures and everything. But I do. I think that song speaks to a lot of people about a lot of situations that they're wanting to get out of and and gives them hope i think so and actually so I tell you, while we're on that so closing feelings about this silly little animated film from 1996 that is so much deeper as soon as you as soon as you scratch off even the first layer so Johnny, I think we maybe just continue with. I think you were beginning your 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 summary there almost to begin with. That. What are your your closing thoughts on this film? Just like we talked about, I think this is an underrated Disney film, but I think it's getting the reputation that it deserves. It's got Funko Pops. Hello, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, I think Quasimodo is such a relatable character because we all feel like a prisoner at one time or another in our life about something. And we all have that desire to break free. Be it, just in my example, I come from a very racist, bigotry part of the world. And my goal in life was to break free and not be a representative of that and so i feel now i with twitter i have a platform that i can do that you know if people get to know me they know i'm not your typical southern redneck yeehaw um you know i'm not flying around my <clears throat> flag and you know anything like that so to me it's just you know it's a personal story is it a little too dark for kids absolutely if i had children I would at least want them, you know, to be a little bit older so they can get, you know, because these are Broadway songs. These aren't ditties, except for maybe a guy like you and Topsy Turvy. Mm. These are not ditties. These are not singable, you know, just do, do, do kind of song. You mentioned Akuna Makata. You're not humming, <laughs> you know, <laughs> most of these songs, you know, when you're through with it, you know. Um, but yeah, that's, that's me. It's just, you know, a, great lesson to be learned uh, and and for let's say eight nine ten year olds i think it's a good lesson to learn you know give them time but i'm just gonna do one really quick story sean you said this is not a movie for kids i found out really a bad way because i used to be a assistant manager at blockbuster video and i had one other staff there in the daytime it was just two of us and we thought hey we're going to play the disney renaissance films so we started with the little mermaid we was just going up we got the hunchback of notre dame put that up and a mom let us know quickly y'all need to take this out because it is not appropriate for my kid to be watching <laughs> <laughs> i 
me as madly because you're, you're, you're dead what you'd be thinking. Oh, well, it's a Disney animated. It'd be absolutely yeah. fine. Oh. I was a college kid when it came out. So to me, it, you know, it was just, you know, I knew it was darker, but to me, it wasn't so dark that, you know, couldn't play a blockbuster video. It was rated G. <laughs> <laughs> and, and thank you very much. That. Morris, now, same, same question. What are your closing thoughts on Hunchback of Notre Dame? As always, Johnny puts it so beautifully. Um, I think it's uh, it's a film that still has a message to this day. It still has um, maybe instead of a wishing for you know money that we can spend on you know worthless things, we should be looking at you know make probably doing something to help a fellow fellow neighbors um it's yeah and pretty much everything that johnny said as well but yeah definitely um yeah we should uh, i'm just blabbling now i really can't sum it up as beautifully as johnny does but no, that's totally fair. Look, and, and the, the pair of you have both been fantastic on the on the episode today. I like thank you both so much. Uh, I know this this episode has run a little bit longer than we expected, but it was it was really you guys just had so much to bring to the show today. So I want to thank you both so much for taking the time with me today. Um, we have come to the end of our episode. So, um, Maurice, with you, where can people find you online? They absolutely should. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram. It's the same tag name, is it? I don't know what it's called now. It's at M underscore Irvin 89. That's great. And I'll put that in the description for this episode so people can just click a button and find you. Thank you very much. And Johnny, the very same question. Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Zoidberg95. That's the one I use the most. I have Instagram and Facebook, but I'm on um twitter the most and because if it wasn't for twitter i wouldn't have a great friend from ireland and a great friend from scotland that i'm talking to right Aww. now absolutely the, the feeling is yeah. more than mutual. Right back, I, yeah yeah and just my wife she made the comment whenever i said who i was talking with and she said well where's marie's from and i said scotland she goes oh an irishman a scottishman and hey y'all <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love I, that. I love the collection of accents on this episode. It's just brilliant. I love it. Um, yeah. oh, and I love you both, guys. And that is the end of our episode for this week. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Whether you think we're mad for what we've said, think we're stunning and wonderful, or frankly, think we're on crack, let us know. Please consider following the podcast on the podcast catcher of your choice. If you want to get in touch, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean Ferrick. Please rate and review if you can. Every word goes a long way. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider becoming a patron over on Patreon forward slash Sean Ferrick. For the same price as a coffee a month, you can get exclusive access to episodes before they air, along with creative input on the episodes we produce. Both Maurice and Johnny, I want to thank you both from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much again for joining me this week. Thank, thank you, you for having, having us. Not, not, yes, not and thank you all for thinking of me. I mean, that was that touched me. Well, look, as, as I say, we, we were talking about this before. There was, there's, there's no, no other two people I wanted to do this episode with. This is, it, it was a no-brainer for me. We'll be back next week for another episode of You're on Crack, mate. I've been Sean. 
and you've been awesome.